Hello, and welcome to the Portfolio Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, John Bryson, Head of Investment Consulting at John Hancock Investment Management. As always, the goal of this podcast is to help investment professionals deliver better outcomes for their clients and their practice. Today is February 25th, 2021, and things are moving. Interest rates are moving, assets are moving, markets are moving, oil is moving, and vaccines are moving. So I thought it would be a great time to reconnect with two of our frequent guests, Emily Rowland and Matt Miskin, to talk about what's going on in the markets. As you recall, Emily and Matt are co-chief investment strategists at John Hancock Investment Management and are the chief architects behind our quarterly capital markets outlook piece called Market Intelligence. And if you're not paying attention to Market Intelligence, I really think you should check it out. So go to our website. Matt and Emily, welcome to the call. Thanks for having us. All right, Matt, I'm going to start with you. I want to talk about flows. Can you tell us uh, how mutual fund and ETF flows are doing in general and maybe where are assets heading this year? Yeah, thanks, John. If we were to break that down into three buckets, fixed income, U.S. equities, and international, we're seeing pretty differentiated views on, on the overall markets when you look at these three buckets. So within fixed income, we're actually still seeing a ton of money going into passive investments highly tied to the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index. Um, this is a bit of a head scratcher to us because it is so treasury heavy. Uh, the ag index has about 37% treasury bonds and passive indices have greater duration, lower yield. We don't think that's going to be a sustainable trend in 2021. We believe it's going to get more active. Things like multi-sector bond category or uh, core plus or even bank loans. We think that's where assets are going to end up going. But we haven't seen that trend change yet, um, but it is one we think is in the works. The second one, U.S. equities. U.S. equities is definitely sniffing out a rotation. Um, what we're seeing is flows are starting to come into U.S. value. Uh, they're being removed from U.S. growth. And we're also seeing a, a preference for smaller size. So mid caps and small caps are also starting to see some flows. This aligns more so with our views and market intelligence. And we think this is a good trend that is likely to continue throughout the course of the year. And then finally, it's international. And international is seeing more flows than U.S. equities, which can make sense as, as the rotation that's happening in markets plays out. Um, but there's a bit more of a preference for emerging markets within the international bucket, um, which we do think makes sense today, given the, uh, the reflation and, and, in essence, the, the better economic growth globally. Um, so two of the three make sense to us, mostly on the equity side. Fixed income and passive investing, we think, is going to be the biggest change this year. And we're positioning for that within our views in, the, in market intelligence. Yeah, that's really interesting because a lot of the research we've done on my team would say that active management can outperform quite a bit in fixed income. So, so finding that alpha with a professional manager you know, should be the number one focus. So any reaction to that? It's um, no, I mean, I think it makes that is also something we've seen because, you know, the passive side is just so treasury heavy. So I think that is something that is going to become more of a real, realization this year. But what we've we've really had is a, a tailwind for passive investors for the last several years has been lower and lower and lower interest rates. So you've you've gotten this huge tailwind from duration. You're going to probably have that removed from you this year. So duration's not gonna be a tailwind. You're gonna need to find alpha through corporate bond selection or credit selection or multi-asset positioning within fixed income, an overlay. 
these are all things that will be additive. And I think that's going to support that research that you highlight uh, very much so this year. Okay. And I'm glad you mentioned that tailwind with declining rates because I want to come back to that and see if we're in a reversal. But Emily, let me, uh, let me bring you into the conversation. Uh, I want your thoughts on where do you think investors should focus in 2021? Yeah, thanks, John. And it's really building on the idea that Matt touched on in terms of a new cycle unfolding here. We look at economic growth continuing to improve globally, earnings growth really starting a new cycle here in terms of looking out into the next couple of years and seeing analysts a forecast a continued improvement in earnings growth. So we do believe that a new cycle is beginning here as we emerge from the pandemic. And when, when we look at early cycle environments historically, they're, they're typically characterized by some of the things that we've been talking about, in particular rising rates. And they're typically led by areas of the market like smaller size and value, um, starting to see market leadership. So we, we do think that leaning into value here modestly um, and having an overweight to areas uh, down in market cap, in particular mid caps for us, um, is, is a nice way to approach this market. Um, from a sector standpoint, we're looking at areas like industrials as a way to think about this rotation into value and this reflationary environment that's starting to play out. Um, you know, industri industrials are um, an area that so far this year have fallen a bit behind uh, other value sectors like energy and financials. But when we look at the earnings potential, uh, heading into the remainder of the year, we think it's an appropriate place uh, to be for this post-recessionary environment, in particular one in which we expect to see even more fiscal stimulus. Um, internationally, uh, emerging markets is still our favorite way to think about adding sensitivity to reflation and playing the idea of rates uh, backing up here further. Um, you know, when we look at emerging markets, surprisingly, um, they've actually lagged behind their non-US developed counterparts over the last decade. And they're just starting to break out of a holding pattern that they've been in uh, for the last 14 years. Uh, so it's been a while since EM prices were, were around these levels. Um, and there's some tailwinds today that didn't actually exist uh, a decade ago. Uh, when we look at China and emerging markets broadly, they're really a, a play on the growing consumer class there. There's a large allocation in areas like technology and consumer discretionary. Um, so really the, the complexion of our emerging markets has changed a lot over the years. And we think it's an important place uh, to have an allocation in a balanced portfolio. And then finally, just looking at the, the fixed income markets, um, you all covered a lot of this, but it's really about, um, you know, looking towards active management here, you know, thinking about, you know, simply finding ways to outpace inflation in this environment. We got a couple of great years, as Matt mentioned, out of high quality bonds here. And now it's time to really think about, you know, rejiggering portfolios for this new uh, environment in which, you know, we're, we're seeing rates back up, we're seeing a little bit more volatility, having an allocation to credit thoughtfully managed, um, and still having an allocation to bonds that are going to act like bonds in a portfolio is really the name of the game as we head into the remainder of the year. Wow, talking about inflation, talking about rates backing up, how, how much can change in a year? So Matt, Emily had mentioned, uh, we're seeing some strong economic growth and uh, we've, she mentioned stimulus also. I want to dig into the stimulus comment. 
We've seen a lot of fiscal stimulus over the last uh, year, and there's certainly talks of more. How are you thinking about the role of that stimulus and the likelihood for more? And how does that maybe impact uh, infrastructure here in the U.S.? Yeah, so <clears throat> the prospects of further stimulus here is, is very likely to, to manifest itself in, in the next couple months. And we're looking at a $1.9 trillion stimulus package. Um, you know, this, the, the calculus behind this is really um, firmed up you know, in the last couple months, and, and it is political in nature because um, the democratic sweep, in essence, um, has made this a much more easy uh, package to get through. And, you know, you think back of where we were last summer, uh, the CARES Act was $2.2 trillion. Um, and after that, the Democrats and the Republicans were discussing fiscal stimulus and even the Democrats back then had, um, you know, suggested something along the lines of, of more like $2 trillion. But what we actually are receiving now, because in January we already got a $600 billion stimulus package that was, you know, kind of just already embedded in the budget. And then we're going to do $1.9 trillion. This is even more than the original Democrat proposal that was, you know, the kind of the negotiation um, starting point between the Republicans. So we're blowing out of, uh, in essence, what we thought was the, the stimulus parameters we were looking at going into this year. What does this mean? Um, one, I think it means that, you know, you can't just run a deficit and not have ramifications for it. And, and I think this discounts that whole MMT, modern monetary theory, um, a train of thought that had been developing. Um, you, if you run a big deficit, which we're on the brink of doing, uh, we're already doing it, but we're going to, you know, really do it even more. Um, that you got to pay for it, and, and Treasury yields are are moving higher on the back of that. Um, and it really comes back to the Fed now, and what is their reaction function to this? So if the Fed does not increase QE, they're already doing it they're already doing QE, but they're not saying they're going to increase it. It's likely a 10 year is going to continue to push up. And, and I think Powell and, and the Fed is going to have to decide what point is the 10 year going up too much where it's going to feed into the housing market because mortgage rates are tied to the 10 year treasury. If, if the 10 year goes up too much, that's going to lead to higher mortgage rates. That leads to a weaker housing market. Um, if you increase treasuries overall because of the stimulus package, then that increases borrowing costs across the board for corporations and, and consumers. So that's a negative uh, impact of this. So we've got to make sure that the Fed, you know, actually pushes back on this or, or enables this not to get out of control. And we think that's a development that could happen this year. But really, it goes back to what Emily was saying within fixed income. You know, if we're going to do all this deficit and it's going to cause yields to rise, um, then you need to think about other ways than treasuries to make money within bonds. And, and that's getting more active and finding differentiated ideas there. And that's really what we're highlighting again. Got it. And then if it does play out to come back to the infrastructure thought, is that a positive way to play the stimulus package? You know, is that a way that you're talking to your, your clients about on a regular basis? Yeah, so the, the, the infrastructure, and I'm sorry, I didn't hit this on the first one because it was, but it was so long-winded, but infrastructure in general, so we're starting to see a discussion more of that, 
there might be less state and local aid and more infrastructure spending as a part of this stimulus package. So that's something that's developing real time. Infrastructure will likely be a multi-year spending program. Um, and what we have found infrastructure wise is that you wanna, the companies that'll likely benefit the most um, will probably be more in the mid cap space. So think of you know, companies that are not massive global players, but more local players. Um, and, and that's why it's more mid than large. And then within mid, it's more industrials, uh, material aggregates, these kind of companies that are going to be doing either the cranes, the transport, you know, the trucking, the, the materials, the <clears throat> equipment that you need for that. And so in essence, it brings you to mid cap value because that's where much of the industrial sector is found is in mid cap value stocks. These are cheaper types of stocks that would benefit positively from an infrastructure bill because they'll see increased demand. Um, so that is, I mean, that's a part of our view anyways, because it helps That's seeing a, a nice upswing in earnings and seeing an upswing from economic growth improving but infrastructure would be a nice kicker as well to, uh, to see those companies improve. Okay. Thanks, Matt. And, and for what it's worth, I don't think you're long-winded unless you were saying my question was long-winded, then I disagree with that. So uh, Emily, I want to pivot to you. Talked about the fact that, you know, what a year it's been. If we look back to last August, I mean, you remember August, that was one of those warm months where Texas wasn't frozen over and there's no snow on the ground. Uh, um, U.S. Treasury 10-year was at, I don't know, 55, 60 basis points. And now it just crossed 144 basis points. So this change in trajectory for uh, the 10-year and rates in general, is it a trend or is it a temporary dislocation? And how are you playing that in your views and exposures going forward? Yeah, the 10-year treasury seems to be backing up uh, by the minute here. And, and frankly, we've been surprised by how rapid the backup in rates has been. And, and the key reason for that is that the economic data that we typically use that we normally point to in terms of uh, evaluating the direction of, of yields, it's just not there. Um, if you look at, for example, the jobs market, there are still almost 10 million Americans who had jobs a year ago who don't have them today. So there's a huge amount of slack in the labor market, which normally wouldn't support this backup in rates. The other key piece is inflation. It's still very much contained here. So the bond market is telling you that inflation is going to move up. We're just not seeing it yet. When we look at CPI for the month of January, it came in at 0% on a month-over-month -month basis. So this, this backup is really, in our view, somewhat a response to more fiscal stimulus in the pipeline, which is what we've been talking about, but even more so this risk-on mentality that's really been pervading the markets. And so people are you know, selling high-quality bonds and they're buying uh, risk assets here. You know, as we think about positioning for this, it's it's really about, um, you know, first kind of looking to see, again, Matt touched on this, you know, how does the Fed react to this? The line in the sand for the 10-year over the last 10 years or so has been, you know, right around where we are now, one four, one five. Uh, and we're going to need to see, um, you know, if this, if these levels start to bring in buyers, some of the technical uh, strategists that we listen to has suggested that, you know, this may be a, an area of support where buyers start to come in. So, so we want to be careful here in terms of really kind of fully rotating a portfolio towards higher rates as we do think, 
there are some some limits in terms of um, you know how how far we go here. So it's really about having some sensitivity to that as as we've talked about and you know, potentially this is an environment in which equities have to do a little bit more of the heavy lifting in a 60-40 portfolio. As we look back on the last six or seven months of, of rising treasury yields and we look at cross-asset class performance, um, it's been a pretty great environment for equities. Uh, some of the areas that jump out to us again are smaller size, mid-cap equities, emerging markets, having a value tilt in a portfolio have, have been really strong areas of performance in this rising yield period. So having some of that looking to parts of the portfolio to benefit, uh, but also really continuing to have a focus here on quality um, to balance that out in a portfolio. So just because we want to embrace you know, value and more um, economically sensitive cyclical areas of the market, we want to have a modest uh, uh, tilt there and we still want to maintain a quality approach uh, to this market um, in the event that we do see some volatility start to play out in equity markets. Got it. Now, Matt, Emily had just said, you know, there's fear of inflation, but we're not really seeing it in the numbers per se quite yet. Uh, I want to hit on oil and the fact that it's now over 60 and I'm hearing some calls for 80 or 100. I want to understand your thoughts and the network's thoughts on expectations for oil going forward. And how does that impact stocks and inflation overall if it, if it continues to rise? Yeah, so oil is a tough one right now because it's so supply driven. And what I mean by that is there's, you know, the demand side of the equation is not heating up that much yet. Um, we're, you know, we've looked at the energy information agencies uh, kind of outlook and they're saying demand isn't going to be above 2019 levels in 2021. And, and it's kind of, you know, that's logical because we're not going to be fully reopened by, you know, mid-year at minimum. Um, and so I think the demand side is going to take longer. But what the supply side is, one, everybody cut production globally with OPEC primarily being the biggest uh, production cuts. Um, and they're all kind of looking, I think they're all looking at each other saying, all right, when are we going to increase production? Um, and there's a lot of money to be left on the table right now because oil prices have snapped back at $60 a barrel. Everyone in the, all major producers of oil can make money on this. And the U S for example, um, has, has really dropped its rig count. It's, it's a number of, uh, rigs that are producing oil. Um, they, the U S needs to get that rig count back up and needs to get production back up. Um, U.S. can counter the OPEC kind of um, chokehold on the oil market by becoming a bigger producer. And that's the way that we really need to see oil come down, is to see greater supply come from the U.S., uh, in our view, in 2021. So that's something we think is important. We think it's important for the U.S. economy uh, because oil and energy resources have become a bigger and bigger part of the U.S. economy over time. Um, so that supply dynamic needs to change for oil prices to stop going up at this rate. Um, but that is something we think could develop over the course of the year. And then in, in terms of inflation, you know, you think the, the headline CPI is going to have gas prices, obviously, as a part of that calculation. And gas prices are going to be going up. So that is going to lift the headline inflation. The core inflation, which removes... Um, 
food and energy is not probably going to see as much of a tick up. And that's what the Fed looks at is, is core. And the reason why, you know, I think you look at the core right now, and a lot of that is housing and, and think about it as renters equivalent. So rent um, is the biggest part of the, the core inflation calculation and rents aren't going up. Uh, in fact, rents are coming down in major cities all over the world, uh, all over the country. So what you're seeing is core inflation is remaining subdued, but oil and gasoline prices are likely to lift the headline. Um, and we would actually fade that a bit. We don't think that's going to blow out to the upside. We think that the oil market is going to see increased supply this year. There's already a lot of good news priced into the oil market. Um, sure, we can go back up to $70, $80 a barrel. But, you know, I mean, there's just so much untapped resources that are available on the supply side. We think that comes into the market this year and helps put a lid a bit on uh, this explosive move on oil. Matt, thanks for kind of peeling back the onion on that, because I know that's on a lot of people's minds and it's really helpful for you to go deep on what you should be paying attention to in terms of inflation numbers, maybe not just the headline, but the core and dig in a little bit deeper. So I have... Uh, We've covered a lot of ground so far. I've got two more topics I want to hit real quick. I know you're both busy and I'm going to let you get back to your day jobs. So um, Emily, coming to you, US dollar, it's been weakening since the middle of last year. Uh, do you think this will continue or are we at an inflection point where it's going to reverse? Well, thanks, John. This is our day job and we're more than happy to, to be with you uh, today. You know, I think you've, you've hit on some of the, the, the really critical questions right now, and, and certainly the dollar is one of them. And just to back up on that, the, the U.S. dollar, the direction of, of the FX markets has really key implications uh, for cross-asset class performance, you know, in particular uh, in periods of weaker dollar uh, environments that tends to be a benefit for your, for your non-U.S. equity allocations. Uh, in particular, emerging markets has a lot of sensitivity to that. So as we watch the dollar weaken, and it's down about 9% over the one-year period versus a basket of currencies, just looking at the, the DXY index, um, that has been a tailwind for EM. And it's, it's a reason that we've, that we've increased our exposure to emerging market equities, the, the recognition that that's an, a way to sort of play this, this trend. Um, in our view, is a little bit different on why the dollar has been weakening. Uh, there's a lot of theses, theses out there about why it's happening, but let's just remember that this has been a risk-on environment. Um, investors have been reaching for, for riskier areas of the market uh, and, and uh, emerging market currencies, other global currencies other than the dollar. The dollar is, is a safe haven, a risk-off currency, and that's the reason primarily that it hasn't uh, caught a bid over the last year. We are at an inflection point. Uh, the dollar's kind of hanging in here uh, year to date. Um, it's come close to touching its early 2008 lows of about 88 on the DXY and we're continuing to get there and then kind of bounce higher. So we do think that the direction of the dollar is gonna be important here. We're watching it closely. Um, ultimately, we think that um, the shift in, a shift in sentiment could really be kind of the key driver here as far as the next direction. So we'll have to watch that closely and see what the implications are uh, across markets. Thanks, Emily. And Matt, last one. We learned, all of us, early in our career that stock prices, they follow earnings. Give us a, a look at how earnings are doing this year. 
Well, so to, to start, um, let's go back over 2020. In, in 2020, I'd say earnings came in way better than expected. For a recession year, um, earnings were only down about 12% year over year. Um, in a typical recession year, earnings are usually down 30 to 40%. So when, it, when clients ask about, you know, how is it that the market's at all-time highs or how is it that this has come back so fast, well, earnings have come back and they didn't drop as much as, you know, mostly most times what happens in a recession year. So I think that's the first starting point. In Q4, we're actually seeing year-over-year growth. Again, that is a very abnormal thing to see in a recession year. Um, but I think that speaks to how quickly the recovery has been. And then for 2021, uh, analysts are expecting north of 20% earnings growth. Um, and then again in 2022, another double digit earnings growth off that. Um, and so, you know, the market's forward looking, it's seeing improving earnings. And as, you know, Emily highlighted earlier, it's, it's likely the beginning of a new cycle where these, where these businesses had a tough year, not as tough as a typical recession, but, you know, earnings were curtailed. But, you know, you get a stimulus package, you get a reopening of the economy, and corporate profits likely continue and improve in 2021 and 2022. And we think that's what's the key is the earnings component of the, you know, the multiple or the market, the multiple on the market. Um, and as earnings improve, stocks likely follow suit. And, and that's really what we're focused on uh, in the years ahead. Excellent. Matt and Emily, always great to talk to you. I can't wait for your next tweet. Folks, if you want to follow them, they're on Twitter. Uh, Emily R. Roland and Matthew underscore Miskin. Uh, Emily, maybe I'll ask you, uh, when, uh, if somebody wants to get the mid-quarter checkup on market intelligence, what's the best way for them to track it down? Yep, absolutely. It's uh, available on our website. We started pro providing mid-quarter updates uh, a few quarters ago, just updating all the relevant data. So go to our website, reach out to your local business consultant, and they can get that for you. And then we'll be um, quickly producing the next version of market intelligence as well. Um, and that one will be out in uh, early April. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking to you all probably in a couple of weeks. Folks, thanks for listening. If you want to hear more, please subscribe to Portfolio Intelligence Podcast on iTunes or visit our website, jhinvestments.com to catch up on all the things that we're talking about. Thanks so much for listening to the show. This podcast is being brought to you by John Hancock Investment Management Distributors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker, are subject to change as market and other conditions warrant, and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment strategy discussed will be successful or achieve any particular level of results. Any economic or market performance information is historical and is not indicative of future results and no forecasts are guaranteed. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.